I'm, I'm hoping that um, my trip back from Orlando is going to bring the heat into this room and into this week. I heard it's supposed to be 60s this week. Um, so let's get started. There's a few things we want to, um, just a couple announcements. Um, as some of you may know, we are, today is our first service here, but we're going to change things up in March. We're going to have house churches the next two Sundays, and then we're going to have our Easter service on Saturday evening, the 26th. Okay, it should be around 4.30. Okay, so the 26th, the Easter service is Saturday. You're going to have your Sunday to hang out with your families, do what you got to do. But the first... Again, the next two after tonight are going to be in house churches, okay? Um, we also, as <clears throat> some of you guys may have seen, we have these new envelopes to help us kind of figure out how our giving should be distributed, okay? I know probably you can't see this, and if you can, I'm very impressed. But there are little boxes in these envelopes, okay? One is called tithe, and one is special, and one is Christmas. Obviously, it's not Christmas time. But if you want to give towards Christmas now, it's up to you. Building, which, again, you know we're not into half a building. But missions is on here. So we want to be able to distribute the funds that you're giving in the right way. So if you are giving to missions, please check off the box. If you're just giving your regular tithing offering, please check off the box. If anyone's ready to give tonight, please raise your hand. Our wonderful sister Monica has the plate. Uh, if you so if anyone needs an envelope, raise your hand. Okay, we also have these pledge cards that we passed out at the beginning of the year to those who made a monthly pledge for our missionaries that we're supporting and the new ones that we're supporting. Okay, I want to thank you guys for those of you who have pledged. I know some of you guys weren't here when we first did this presentation about the giving and again, we're really blessed because we saw how God used us in 2015 to really be a blessing to a lot of people around the world. And we felt impressed in our hearts to continue this and to expand it uh, because God wants us to be a generous people. Amen? This is the mark of a New Testament church, a people who have a healthy detachment to the things of this life and are willing to give it all away for the kingdom of God. In some cases, we see people give it all away. Some people just give 10, some give 15, it doesn't matter. God is moving among us and wants us to be a generous people even more in 2016. So if you haven't had a chance to pledge, we encourage you. It, it could be $5 a month. It could be $6. It doesn't really matter. We want to encourage you to pledge towards the missionaries that we're supporting. Okay? If you If you don't know who those missionaries are, Come see me. I, we can send you a link to everyone that we're supporting this year. But again, I think we're halfway to our goal, or a little bit over half. So it's been awesome already. But again, I want to encourage you. Giving draws you closer to the Father's heart because he's a giver. So part of our, our signs of growth is, is, is tied to our pocketbooks. Believe it or not. It's the way it works. God generously gave his son. So the closer you get closer to his heart, the more you're going to be willing to give. So I want to challenge you to, if you're not ready to give tonight, pray about it. Maybe the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And if you're, and you feel warm in your back pocket, it's Him. 
It's nothing, it's nothing, it really is him. Okay? Remember, he's after your heart in order so that we can advance the kingdom. So I'm excited about that. So I also want to take some time to pray for Jeff. Um, Jeff and Alina are not feeling well tonight. Jeff has a, a bad cold. Jeff never gets sick. Never gets sick. And we're going to supposed to pray for the Iraq team tonight. And Ken is here tonight. It's so great to see you. I'm so glad you can come. Um, and we're going to do that a little bit later, but man, we got to pray for Jeff, man. Because I can't imagine. I've never even seen him sick, to be honest. So this is a rare thing. So let's just take some time uh, to pray for him right now. Okay, and Alina. Anyone else have any sickness going on that we could pray about? Any sickness? Okay, everyone's healthy. Praise God. I know that January was like, oh gosh, like the plague broke out and everybody was sick. All kind of weird things were happening. So now Jeff got a piece of it in, in Alina. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that because of your blood, healing has been provided. It is our heritage, oh God. So we pray for Jeff and Alina right now. We pray for a, just a divine visitation tonight that you would break this fever off of Lena and this cold off of Jeff, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that your name is above any cold, above any sickness. So we declare your name over them right now. We thank you that they're whole in Jesus' name. And we thank you for the good report that even tonight, he's going to feel better, Alina's going to feel better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And you know, and there's a testimony about that. I missed the house church a couple weeks ago. And I was I was pretty bad shape, man. <laughs> And man, I know that people were praying for me because in the middle of all my sickness, all of a sudden, man, I got like, the Holy Ghost came in. And he just started talking to me about all these different things. And my body felt so much better. And I was like, wow, it's so awesome. And I think it was the night that uh, we had a house church. And I, I'm just so thankful that prayer works, right? Prayer is this, man, the, the, the Christians are, I mean, the, our heritage, our privilege to pray and to see answered prayer. So everybody gave. All right? We prayed. Again, we're going to pray for the Iraq team. I'm really excited for the Iraq team. We have two weeks, right? One and a half? Come on, eh? close enough. Round it off. In a week and a half, we're going to send five people to Iraq to serve our brothers and sisters out there. And and a lot of it has to do with your giving. Again, we have family out there. There There is a harvest of souls. Listen. There's a harvest that we are impacting. It's funny how sometimes we look at, you know, buildings and people, small groups, and we can tend to look down upon them. But the Lord, He always has a remnant of people like, just to put the world to shame. Like, oh man, cross culture is just a little, but you know what? Cross culture is going to burn for eternity. It's going to change the world for the glory of God. Not because of cross culture. It's because we're people being captivated by Jesus Christ. And every time we're sowing into the kingdom, every time we pray, I mean, how many answered prayers have we had? Man, who's keeping a diary of this? Man, that's the first thing we got to repent of tonight. Someone needs to keep a log of the answered prayer that we have. Because, man, when we get discouraged and things are happening, it's a wonderful thing to look back and say, hey, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. I mean, have you read Joshua 24? When God, when Joshua, through, you know, recounts God's faithfulness to Israel, 
He just breaks it down. The Lord did this. The Lord did that. The Lord did this. The Lord did that. And then he goes, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Because look at everything he's done. So man, for us, it's really encouraging for us to remember the testimony of answered prayer. He calls us into that. And we're just so thankful that we could be part of work not only in Iraq, but in Thailand. Our crew is April 25th. Where's my crew at? Boom. Boom. Man, I'm praying. I'm telling you, man. The Lord told me, you need to get in shape, boy. So I, I've been working out. I'm going over there believing that I'm going to be slim in Jesus' name. I, I'm fighting the spirit of ho-hos. Have you ever heard of the spirit of ho-hos? And when I walk into Walmart, it seems to just, these images of ho-hos just popped. And I, and I go, that's the devil. You know, I, but God is so gracious. Uh, you, know, you know, he's so good. So let's get the kids to where they need to go. Precious children, ages 0 to 10, can go with the workers. They're gone. Praise the Lord. Look at how the Spirit is already moving. <laughs> the children have already found themselves downstairs. So, all right, so let's get started. Let's go to Hebrews chapter, chapter one. Hebrews chapter one. <clears throat> there we are. Get this paper out of the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time together. Thank you. Again, for your love and the fact that we can be here together tonight. We're so thankful. So thankful for your presence. So thankful for your grace. God, I just pray that you would just move through me tonight. Move through all of us, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 1. Now, again, I found out this morning that I was sharing tonight, okay? And it was really cool because I was like, it's so cool not to feel like pressure. You know, I was like, Jesus, you're in control. You got this. It felt so good. In the past, I would have been shaking like a leaf. But I think it was this, the Lord wanted me to see like, the growth I have had and just depending on him. So if this message is not good, then it's on the Lord. It's not on me. That's fair. <laughs> All right, Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these days, these last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom all also he made the worlds. Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, <clears throat> having become so much better than angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. 
Now, it's an interesting passage that we start with tonight because it kind of gives us an idea of the progression of God's, how God reveals himself through time. In the beginning of the verses, it talks about how God spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament. He uses the prophets of old to, to reveal who he is to the people. But in the last days, God has chosen his son to do this. And as a matter of fact, it says in verse 3 that he is the express image, the perfect image, the perfect natural expression of who God is, is Jesus Christ. So one of the things we've been talking about is the importance of us maturing. We've been sensing that, man, God is calling us to mature as a people. We're not natural people because natural people are people who aren't born again. 1 Corinthians 2 talks about this. It talks about the three types of people. The natural man, the fleshly man, and the spiritual man. Based on the words that we received last year, it looked like God was really pointing his finger on the fact that there's some fleshy things that he's trying to work out of us. I mean, this we can't run away from that. We have to embrace the word of the Lord, even if it means rebuke. Right? The Father corrects those he loves. So we thank God for his care. We thank God for how he reveals himself to us, even if it stings a little bit. The end goal is maturity. First John chapter 1 talks about having children and then sons and then fathers. God wants us to reach a place of maturity where we can, in a sense, really multiply. A father is someone who has multiplied, right? You call somebody a father, he's got kids. And even in our natural bodies, there's only a, there's a time frame where we cannot duplicate. We can't multiply. We need to reach a certain level of maturity in order to do that. But part of this maturity is tied to, tied to the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Because if we don't see God rightly, we can never mature. I'll repeat that. If you don't see God rightly, you can never mature. So we're going to go to Genesis right now. We're going to see Genesis chapter 3. We're going to see some of the effects of the fall that we inherited because part of what we don't understand as we're growing in Christ is the fact that we inherited something from the first Adam. We received something from him that we didn't want, but every person born on the planet has it. Okay, so Genesis chapter 3. Reread. I mean, you guys know the story in Genesis 3, right? Tough situation. Adam and Eve were just fallen. And it says, verse 8. After they've, you know, sinned, the Bible says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called Adam and said, where are you? I'll stop right there. It's interesting. Part of the thing, part of what we inherited naturally, but just being born on the earth, is our tendency to hide from God. We sin, and one of the signs that point to our maturity is how quickly we run to him. When we're fleshy, when we're in our flesh, the tendency is to run away from him. (laughs) 
There's no real confidence in going to him because part of what happens when you sin is a distorted view of God is now in your heart. You don't see him anymore. And, and then think about just the voice. He says, where are you? Now, most of us, if we're really honest, when we hear that, we read that passage, we're probably thinking that the tone is something like, where are you? It's like a stern type of thing, you know? That's, you know, they just sinned, and then you hear this voice saying, where are you? And most of us are probably thinking, man, he's probably upset with Adam and Eve. But have you ever thought that maybe his tone was more like, man, where are you? Have you ever thought about that? The tone is so important. You can say the same sentence in like 20 different ways. But it's interesting how in their perspective, because they've sinned, they're already hiding. They're already viewing God in a terrible way. And our natural tendency is to view him that way because we were born in it. We're born inheriting this perspective on God that he's someone to be feared and to run away from. We have to understand what we received through Adam, the first one. We're all born with this tendency of feeling shame and guilt and all these things and running away from God. And then, as you see, Adam starts blaming God. Adam starts blaming God, right? Isn't it natural for us to blame other people when we make a mistake? One of the signs of maturity is, as you're really growing in Jesus, is that you own this sin. You don't start blaming your brother down the street. You don't start blaming that commercial or some girl you saw in the commercial. No, you're you're taking ownership for what you're doing. But when you're fleshy, it's easy, it's natural for you to blame other people. And we see this here. As we read as we read on, it says, And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I told you not to eat? Then the man said, The woman who you gave me to be with, she gave me of the tree, and I ate it. Okay, so this tendency for us to blame others is part of the issue, part of what we inherited. They don't see God right, and we don't see each other right. This is part of what we're growing out of in Jesus. This is, the, the, this is where we came from. But God, through his Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, is calling us to grow out of that as we continue to surrender to him. This is part of what is called sanctification. God gives you a gift of righteousness when you give your life to Jesus Christ. I believe in you, Jesus. He calls you righteous. But from that point forward, sanctification is you walking out, walking out, growing out of what you inherited from the first Adam. That's the, I've given you grace to walk this out. But it all starts with how you see him. So no wonder the devil, if he can't stop you from being born again, all he's going to do now is going to cause you to sin because every time you sin, you lose the, you lose the right picture of who God is. You're robbed of who God really is in order for you to respond properly. Now, instead of coming to him boldly, you start hiding. You start like, man, I'm going to keep this to myself. I'm not going to share this with anybody. And now sin is having its way. It's, it's trying to destroy everything, any idea of who God really is in your life. To the point where you don't even know who Jesus Christ is anymore. It's easier to believe something that someone says in the media or through some other media channel than the word of God. 
So if we really want to mature, we have to go back. Hebrews 1. God has chosen his son to express his nature to the world, to who he really is. There's no other substitute. Benny Hinn, all these other people, I mean, they're great. But we can't lean on these people as if like they're the ones. No, it's Jesus Christ. And this is why the devil works so hard for us to sin. You know, sometimes you hear it. People, you know, Christians call themselves sinners. Right? How many times have you called yourself a sinner? When you've sinned. Well, I'm just a sinner. Well, no, you're not. You're not a sinner. If you're born again, the Bible calls you a saint. Paul addresses the churches to the saints in, to the saints in. When we lose, again, this is why sin is so dangerous. When we lose, when we sin, we lose picture of who God is and we lose picture of who we really are. It's easy to call yourself a sinner if you're living in the flesh. It's easy to proclaim that you are a sinner when you're, when you're living a lifestyle, when you're walking according to the flesh. So, in Genesis we see that we inherited these things. God, through his Holy Spirit, now comes and deposits this the very nature of Christ in us. You know that this was not an, a nature being added to our old nature, right? It's not an attachment to our old nature. The Bible says that we've been crucified with Christ. Our old man, who was once running the show and doing whatever he wanted... <laughs> has been killed. And now there's a new nature. It's God's nature. And that nature is opposed to this whole idea of blaming your wife. This whole idea of blaming everybody else but you. It's opposed to that. It actually wants to run towards God. Say, man, let me give you, let me give them my nature so that they could now learn to submit to that nature and be renewed, transformed. Okay? So we want to mature people. This is why it's so important. We have to, but God gave us, in a sense, like on a map, he gave us a location of where we are. You are fleshy. This is the location. Where do we want to go? Can someone say it out? Where do we want to go? We want to, we want to go to maturity. We want to be what 1 Corinthians 2 says, spiritual people. This is a rare thing in the earth. I'll say it again. It is rare to find a spiritual man or woman who's actually matured, who's actually multiplying. The Bible gives a very interesting parable in Matthew 22 where Jesus ties faithfulness to multiplication. He says, if you're really faithful to me, you will multiply. You're going to mature and learn to use your talents. He says, the first guy gets 10 talents, Matthew 22. And when he goes away, this man doubles the talents, and now he has 20. The next guy has five, and he multiplies five. But the next guy has one, and the Bible says, he says, I knew you to be a hard man. And you sowed and reaped where things were you haven't. So I hid your one talent. 
And the Bible says this, look at this wicked and lazy servant. But look at the man's perspective. He says, I knew you to be a hard man. You see how important it is to see God right? He doesn't see God right, so he doesn't use his talent. He doesn't see him right. His, his vision is off, so now everything is off. His relationships, everything is off when you don't see God right. The warfare today, because of the media, I mean, think about it. When I was, when I was 1985, there was no cell phones. There was, man, there's nothing. Beepers? Nope. I mean, we barely saw in telegrams back then. But it was a beautiful age because, because of the lack of information, it was easier to be focused. We didn't have someone just blowing up our phones. We didn't have multiple phones. We didn't have multiple numbers. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have all these Snapchat, you know, all this stuff. We didn't have all these different things going on. Now it's very difficult, right? Because you're just bombed with all these different things. You, your mind could be influenced by, and you're thinking about these different things. Should I post this on Facebook? Should I, you know, do I, should I do this? I don't know. No one liked my page. All these different weird things. We're so bombarded in this age. And why? Because all the devil wants you to just get off, a little bit off of who Jesus really is. Just, it's just slightly off. And start worshiping this false God because he isn't the Jesus in the Bible. So we see that sin is one of the ways that this happens. Sin comes in and it corrupts. It, it, we don't see God right, and we don't see people right. Okay? We see even in the parable of the talents, God saying, listen, you need to see me right, because if you don't see me right, you're not going to multiply. You're not going to mature. Okay? So let's go to Matthew 17. <clears throat> this is another great example of this. Now, Matthew 16 is, is, is a awesome. I mean, a lot of people know this story in Matthew 16, right? You see her, Jesus says this awesome question. Who do men say that, you know, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So he's asking this pivotal question to his disciples. He wouldn't be asking the question to them if he thought they knew who he was. And remember, he's been spending a couple years with them already. And up to this point, they still don't know who Jesus is, right? <laughs> it's pretty staggering, right? They've been with him for the last year and a half, two years. And Jesus has to take the time to say, who do men say that I am? And obviously we see the response. Some say John the Baptist. See, you see the problem? They're all giving these various answers. They still don't get it. John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then he said, who do you say that I am? This is so important for Jesus because he understands that growth, supernatural growth, is tied to the revelation of who he is. When we lose that, we don't grow. Then all of a sudden, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the King, the Son of the living God. And we know what he says here. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjoma, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Listen, if you're living fleshly, you're not going to get that revelation. Flesh and blood cannot reveal that to you. 
As a matter of fact, your flesh is going to rob you of it. You're going to need God to come in like Paul on a Damascus road and just break in and meet him. Think about that. Think about the grace of God. Think about even Noah. Like God breaks into Noah's life. He, Noah found favor with God. Right? Abraham. I mean, Abraham's father is serving idols. Abraham probably was too. There's no mention of Abraham being faithful when God meets him. It's all grace. It all starts with grace. Think about that. Every, and the reason why you're in this room is because of grace. The reason why we're all in this room is because God broke in, and we didn't deserve it, and he just broke into our lives. He got in our face. Right? Now think about that. God breaks in, and Peter, like Peter, as if like Peter was better than other disciples. He wasn't. Peter gets his revelation. You are the son, you are the Christ. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father has. Now check this out. Matthew 17. Says after this passage, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us let's make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, Peter just got this revelation, right? I mean, in the previous chapter, just six days ago, Peter just got a revelation that Jesus is the Christ. And he gets his vision. He's, he's privileged. He's got three guys up there with him. I don't know why he chose just the three. That's Jesus' business. That's another sermon. The point is he brings him up to the high mountain. He, he starts getting transfigured. He's shining white as light. He's just brilliantly light. And Peter says, hey, man, this is awesome that we're here, man. Let's make an altar for all three of you guys. Isn't that totally contradictory to what he just said about six days ago? He's saying he's the Messiah. He's the king. But something has happened in six days. That Jesus is using the transfiguration to get into his head. Listen, you can't move past the reality of who I am. You can't equate me to the prophets because I'm higher than the prophets. I'm greater than the prophets. The human tendency is to lower Jesus down and almost make him like a man where somehow he's co-equal with some of the other people that we've encountered with. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest things the devil does is try to make us believe that somehow him and God are co-equal. Like God is on on the good side and he has all this power, and the devil has all this, and there's like an even scale. Like God, the devil has all this power, and, the, and Jesus has all this power, and there's like a tug of war going on. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is a big fight going on. Lie. Terrible lie. All the devil do is can puff himself up and exaggerate his posture, his position, in order for us to start being gazed at all his power. Like, no, he, the dude has no power. As a matter of fact, he has no power over you. The Bible teaches that anyone who's in Christ, the, the devil's been stripped of his power. The only reason the devil has any ground in your life is because you give him ground. The only reason. 
Every, that's why the flesh is so dangerous. Because you open the, you crack the door and you know what he does? He puts his foot in there. And all you need is a foot in there. And now you gotta, now you gotta fight, right? Someone gets in front of you, you're trying to close the door, you're like, oh man, this is, this is gonna be tough. Cause he's just got that little foot in there, right? And that's why it's so dangerous. Cause we can't afford to be fleshy. We lose revelation of him. <laughs> then we lose revelation of who we are. And if we lose revelation of who we are, we will open ourselves up to whatever is comfortable and pleasing to the flesh. And then we're in trouble. God specifically takes these guys, these three guys up there, because they're still struggling with who Jesus really is. And look what it says. While he's still speaking, <laughs> God had to cut him off. <laughs> Let me cut you off, bro. Because <laughs> you're just, just thick and crazy right now. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus alone. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why Elijah and Moses are not in the picture anymore. Because <laughs> he's trying to help a Jewish, a Jewish people understand that Jesus is far above all these prophets, above everything. And if he isn't held high, you're not going to get it. But think about the Jewish nation. They, they love Abraham. They love Elijah. They love these guys. I mean, these guys are the bomb. Jizzle, I mean, this is the, Moses. Oh my goodness. You, you, you read the gospels. You see how much they love Moses. Hey, Moses is the man. But when you read Hebrews, you tell, specifically, it says, man, Moses was faithful in his house, but the owner of the house, there's someone who owns the house. He's greater than Moses. Because the people are so struggling with equating Jesus with these other very important figures. So in our lives, even though we don't have this heritage, the, the Jewish heritage, man, who are the people who are prominent in your life? Who are the people that you look up to to the point where, man, they're more important to, than even Jesus to you? Because if you're lifting them up above who Jesus is, you're not going to grow. You can't grow. You're going to be stuck. And you're going to be disappointed. Because it can't be anyone else. This is why Jesus takes so much time. He's constantly revealing himself. Over and over again. I mean, they don't get it. Even to the very end, they're still doubting who he is. I mean, he has to show them the, the, the holes in his hands. You still don't see who I really am. And for us, this is the challenge of the day. God has given us a word that we need to respond to. I know we've been crying out. We've been asking for forgiveness, different things. But if there's one thing that we need to repent of is, again, how we see him. That's the starting place. The reason why there's revivals that have happened in the past is because revival was birthed out of people seeing him rightly. They had a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, and it just changed everything for them. 
We're going to run after Jesus. We're going to just shut everything down because Jesus means everything to us. They didn't have a distorted view. God, by his grace, came and poured out his spirit on people, and people saw Jesus for who he was, and they ran after him. We have a history of these revivals, and I believe another one is coming. I really believe that. And it's going to start with grace. It's going to start with God breaking in when we least expect it, and he's going to reveal himself for who he is, and we're going to have to respond to that. And we're going to have to learn how to guard that. Because just as Peter received that revelation and lost it, we have to be humble people who are learning to maintain the revelation that we've received. So important. Because there's one thing, if the devil can't stop the revival from coming, there's all, there's a, he can definitely work on trying to distort it and turn it into a man thing. Turn it into something that we're now creating and taking credit for so this passage here alone speaks to us of Jesus, man, his efforts. I mean, think about, imagine that. Use your imagination. He's shining white. He's glowing in front of them. And they're still like, man, dude, you're like, you're as important as Elijah and Moses. That's <laughs> Peter's response. God is so good to us. Because he's constantly revealing who he is to us. Even after the cross, when I mean, you think about even the cross, the expression of God on the cross is incredible. We're, you know, we're heading into Easter. You know, we, this is the, one of the greatest times of the year to really reflect on how God reveals himself on the cross. The sacrifice, all the things he went through, I mean, it's, a, it's a perfect expression of who God is. And, and there's no wonder why, again, the cross is one of the most shunned things in churches today. Because without that cross, you can't see him right. Without that cross, you can never see Jesus right. The cross is the doorway to see him for exactly who he is. And that's why we pick up that cross daily in order to see him again and again and again. And that compels us to run harder after him. Not hide like Adam and Eve, but run harder after him because that cross has opened the door for us to see him the right way. This is the challenge for us. I really believe that God is calling us to go from this fleshy place to a place of real spiritual maturity. But it's going to be a fight. We're going to have to lock arms and pray for one another like never before. Because we all have weaknesses, right? I mean, I already told you about my ho-ho devil, right? I mean, it chases me down. It's relentless. But the reality is, this is why we need each other, man, because we need to pray for one another like never before, because what's at stake? What's at stake? Think about Paul. I mean, if Paul decided to be like, you know, I'm going to just just be just live for myself and just do my thing. The writer of most of the New Testament I mean, one of the greatest Christians that we know of, I mean, he made a choice that is impacting our lives today. Don't think that your decisions don't matter. Every step you take, a spiritual step, every walk in the spirit that you take is impacting more people than you know. It's impacting nations. Listen, when I was a younger believer, the Lord taught me this. But I prayed and I, and I, and I fasted on this stuff and I remember the Lord reminded me, you, your prayers are changing things in Switzerland. They're changing things in other parts of the world. 
And, and I'm thinking, how could that be? I'm in Chicago. I'm in the west side of the city. I mean, some hot wings. I mean, I mean, what is that? How can you use a guy? Because I don't care about that. I'm looking for you to step into the spirit with me. I'm looking for you to take these steps that you start walking according to the spirit. Because it opens the door to the impossible. That only he can do. So, I mean, I, I really want to just end tonight with just reminding you guys the treasure that you are. God is committed to every one of you. And he's committed to continue to reveal himself to every one of you. Remember, don't waste the revelation that he's given you. Man, respond to that. Go back to that first love. Go back to the beginnings when God first broke in. Man, remember those days. Like, man, the way you felt, the way you responded to him. Man, that's something to treasure. That's something to cultivate. Just because it's, you know it was six years ago, and that doesn't matter. I think about I'm almost weekly the day I was born again. I think about that job interview in a basement when God used a, someone I didn't know prophetically for three hours to speak into my life. The moment of my birth changed everything. And for us, as we learn to cultivate that, Man, it's going to be easier for us to step into the things of the Spirit. Maturity is the byproduct of us responding to the revelation of who Jesus is. That's all it is. And there's a war against it. There's a war every day. We lift up our opinions. We, you know, we, all these things, we get prideful about, you know, what we think. No, 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 listen. Jesus did it all. There's nothing that we can add to what he did. We just have to look at him in the Gospels. Look at what he's doing in the Gospels. Look at who he is, how he's dealing with the adulteries, how he's dealing with those who are weak and broken. How is he dealing with them? God hasn't called us to act like Jesus. He's called us to be like Jesus. Acting like him, is that's not what's required in this generation. I mean, you think about even the presidential elections. The, the fact that people are so starving for something authentic that they're giving this particular politician so much, you know, Publicity. Think about that. People are starving for people to be authentic. And just because this particular guy just beats himself, people are like, yeah, I'm going to vote for him because he's just himself. Man, that is the church's role to be authentic. To present the real deal to this dying nation. And it's not going to look like looking like the world. It's not going to look like people who are not multiplying. It's going to look like people who finally have said, I'm casting aside this flesh. Because what he's revealed to me, remember, whoever, who too much has been given, much is required. We've been given a lot. A lot has been revealed to us. Even today I was telling Josh, we came back from doing laundry, and I was filling my, my drawer and my dresser. And I don't know, it's the Holy Spirit. And I was having a little trouble closing my dresser. And I just paused for a minute, and the Lord told me, look at all that you have. Look how much you have. And I just paused. I'm like, man, oh my goodness. When you, the Lord using a natural illustration to remind me of how much I have, and then I think about him. I think about the fact that he's living inside of each and every one of us. What God has given to us, we have to learn to respond. We have to humble ourselves, whatever we got to do. 
Whatever we got to do. We can't get caught up in our shortcomings or whatever. No, we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. And it would be such a shame for us not to embrace the fact that we can grow into something. Oh, my goodness. We can become a people who multiply and mature and see the glory of God. Fill our neighborhoods. Fill our schools. Fill every place he wants to fill. But again, as we finish tonight, it's all about going back to that place of seeing him right. That's why John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Someone is coming that if you're not repenting now, you're not going to see him the right way. He's going to offend you. Because you think God is this way, and now he's going to come loving and forgiving and not judging. He's going to come in a certain way that's going to blindside you. So repent. Let go of the things you think are true. Because the real deal is coming. And when you have that, you need to cherish it. You need to be calling your brothers and sisters and say, Hey man, I'm not seeing these things right. I need, I need prayer. Don't try to fight the devil by yourself. Reach out to one another, man, because again, the devil's not interested in you maturing. He's not, he's totally fine with you being fleshy. He's totally fine with that. Go to church, be fleshy, fine with that. He's comfortable in the pews with you in that way. But when you start taking steps, real steps, now, now we're talking turkey. Now you're going to have devils. They ain't going to be happy with that. That's why we need one another. Because for me, my desire personally is to see grandfathers even in this room. People who have a generational faith passed down. Just like Timothy. The Bible says his grandmother, Eunice, to Lois, to him. Like This generational faith. I want to try to be able to say, man, I got grandchildren in the spirit. Grandchildren. Great-grandchildren in the spirit. Come on, guys. This, this, I want every one of you to step into heaven and see the harvest. The very things you lay down in your life where you see the harvest of people that your life impacted. People you never met. Just because you let this dude at Jewel to, to Christ and he got on fire and then he left to, to, to Malaysia and all of a sudden he led a whole bunch of people to Christ. You never saw him again. But all of a sudden he's preaching the gospel and someone else gets discipled. We have a man, an opportunity of a lifetime. We, we don't want to give that up because just being in the flesh, I can't. And that's why I believe God is speaking this to us in regards to these, the principal foundational things. Because he knows what he could do through you. He knows the people that you could touch. So I'm going to pray right now. Lord, I, I, I want to thank you. Because though we were born with these things we inherited from Adam, we were also born again and received an inheritance from the second Adam, the last Adam. We have been positioned through the Spirit 
to change the world for your namesake. God, I pray that we would not walk according to the flesh. That we would not allow the devil to rob us of the revelation of who you are. God, we need you shining brightly before us. We need to see you for who you are. We know the world isn't going to do us favors. Our flesh isn't going to do us favors. Even sometimes brothers and sisters in the faith are going to miss it. But God, ultimately it's our responsibility to be in your word and to respond to the revelation of who you are. You are that shining bright star, oh God. There's no one like you. You're not like Moses or Elijah. You're greater than that, God. You're far above everything else. You are the fullness of God. And you are the very nature expressed to us of who God is. So I pray tonight that our, that we would take serious what's been deposited in us. That there would be grandmothers and great-grandfathers in the faith in this room. That in the future we would see a legacy of faith left behind. And that as we step into eternity we see the harvest of souls. From every country, from every tribe, we see that, God, you use our lives for your glory. Jesus, help us not just toss this away as if this earthly life is what matters. As if our salaries, our careers, none of those things truly matter, God. They're just vehicles for your glory. They're just opportunities for you to shine brightly in every sphere, every influence. So I pray again that we will be people who Paul says make no provision for the flesh. Let this be the mark in our hearts. I want to pray for you guys right now, just in the area of this, in the area of provision of the flesh. If you feel there's an, a cracked door in your life with the flesh, I'm asking you to either raise your hand or come forward. If you have an open door, even if it's cracked, I want you to just raise your hand and come forward. Because the Holy Spirit wants to close that door. The devil's coming in to rob you of the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. It's time to put close the door on that flesh. What's at stake is the revelation of who Jesus is. We cannot afford to give it room anymore.